People don't understand virgins these days, Mr. Bundy. They don't realize that we can have just as much fun as they do while remaining vertical with our toes uncurled and the saliva of our passions held firmly in our proud, unsullied mouths. <laughs> so many more exciting things to do besides having sex. Have you ever felt the soft down of a newborn baby duck? <laughs> ever collect little ceramic unicorns? Ever play Yahtzee? <laughs> now, you see, I'm not a virgin. <laughs> oh, come now, Mr. Bundy. Here is your virgin hotline handbook. Memorize its pithy wisdom. Reach out and touch yourself. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back, Marywood Children fans. We're set to review Dial B for Virgin. And I'm with Tyler. Tyler, can you hear me? Tyler? I canceled this lousy Wi-Fi if I wasn't stealing it from that dentist's office across the street. Tyler? Oh. Oh, you're there. Good. Good. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Stephen. Uh, I wasn't listening. I was uh, actually watching Melrose Place, and Billy's taking his shirt off right now. Oh no. Okay, I think I uh, found out too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We are reviewing Mo- Dial B for Virgin, written by Michael Moy and Wayne Klein. It's directed by Amanda Beers again, Woo! and it aired on October sixteenth, nineteen ninety-four. Special guest stars include Monica Lacey as Esther, Beverly Archer as Miss Hardaway, Rhonda Aldrich as Judy, Bodie Elfman as Clerk, and Phil Lodwick as Security Guard. Yeah, the uh, title is a pun on, of course, Dial M for Murder, a 1954 American crime mystery film directed by some weirdo named Hitchcock starring Ray Milland, Grace Kelly, Robert Cummings, and John Williams. Both the screenplay and the successful stage play on which it was based were written by English playwright Frederick Knott, with two T's. Not in the Knott goes not. You know, I'm thinking of Jethro all of a sudden. Yes. Yes, not not like not going there, but not like I tied the knot. Make sure you don't do it not that way, though. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Well, we start out, and Al is sitting on the couch, and he is watching television. There's only one problem. There's only one thing on. And now, stay tuned for the show Too Good for Television. Wings. Wings. <laughs> we now return to Wings. Our Wings Marathon. Wings! I'd cancel my cable if I wasn't stealing it from the Darcy's. 
Wings is an American sitcom television series that ran for eight seasons on NBC from April 19th, 1990, six months after I was born, to May 21st, 1997, till I was almost seven. Wow. Starring Tim Daly and Stephen Weber as brothers Joe and Brian Hackett. And the show is set to the fictional Tom Never Tom Never's Field Airport, a small two-airline airport in Nantucket, Massachusetts, where the Hackett brothers operate Sandpiper Air. Other regulars include Chris, Crystal Bernard, David Tram, Rebecca Shaw, ooh, and Thomas Hayden Church and Tony Shalhoub. Uh, huh. So Wings is actually about an airline airport. I never. I never knew that. <laughs> well, I knew a little bit. It was suffering at that time from oversaturation. And that's an example of how shows get oversaturated in syndication. And I think that's what hurt Mary with Children's ratings when you get to season seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Because I know it's a syndication and it was on everywhere. People don't watch it like they used to. They think, oh, I watched the syndication. I don't need to watch the new ones. And I was in this phase for the most part, although I believe I saw this one on its original air date. It was one of those rare times I was alone at home. I thought, yes, I can watch it because my wife hated it. The <laughs> <laughs> kids, there's plenty of stuff you can do instead of having sex. <laughs> Just watch Barry with children. But... It's funny that you say that oversaturation of uh, reruns and everything, because this got me thinking. There's a line in this episode where uh, one of the characters says, there's so many other things you can do to occupy your time than having sex. And she gives some weird examples. But it made me think now, we had, with Netflix, Hulu, subscriptions, and so many shows, so many different creative things to watch, YouTube it, in its entirety... It's really hard to remember how it was during 1994. Al is feeling the truth. Like when you just turn on your TV and what's on is on and you maybe you flip for a little bit. I mean, they have cable, but what was the old saying? Like 100 channels and nothing to watch. That's right. I think if there's one show that's really suffered from oversaturation the last several years is the big bang theory because mm-hmm. it seems to be on everywhere Bazinga. and i'm you know and i like it but it was the same thing after season five and six i wasn't watching it as regularly as i was and i usually don't and i've seen those later seasons they're not as good yeah, and a lot of our listeners may not even have cable subscriptions. They may we may have some Gen Z listeners who don't have cable subscriptions. And what Stephen means by saturation is not that the show's just on all the time, but it's on back to back. We're talking like four episodes in a row and then take a break for like three hours and then you get sometimes the same four episodes again at the nine o'clock hour and it's yeah it makes you not want to watch the show anymore (laughs) you know and then you have i've noticed on classic tv uh channels like me tv and uh i've seen get tv land get tv and i know some other new ones around uh but all of them are showing andy griffith all of them are showing you know adam 12 which i really like actually you know it's just that and then 
And then network, or not network, but cable channels, when they're showing stuff, it's like marathons that last half of a day. Like, uh, I know there's one going on right now. I'm married with children since about 8 o'clock this morning on WGN America. They do marathons. And, you know, and that's when you can get into the binge watching on old cable TV. But at that time, Wings was the thing, was the show that was oversaturated. Dad. I got a problem. I, uh, I did something really stupid. Oh, son. You didn't marry, did you? <laughs> God, no. Now, I volunteered for this program at college where they sign you community service work for extra credit. Well, I was hoping to get Save the Brazilian Rainforest. Why? What do you care? <laughs> Wanted to see naked women from Rio. Well, you can do that during wet gaucho night at the nudie bar. Brazilian course got filled by the football team. So they assigned me to the only charity they had left open. Which is? I can't even tell you. It's too humiliating to talk about. I'm just thankful the word hasn't hit the streets yet. Kelly comes in. Hey, Daddy, guess what? Bud has been assigned to the Virgin Hotline. Well, we do know, however, that word has hit the old mattress behind the Y. Virgin hotline? What the hell is a virgin hotline? Bud. My dad, you probably don't know this, but today there's a big movement towards celibacy. No, it hell, I started it. No, Dad, this is no sex before marriage. You see, the hotline was set up so that when virgins felt in danger of losing their... Like their innocence, they could call someone to be nipped in the bud. <laughs> or counseled, for those of us who breathe through our noses. Ask him what the phone number is, Dad. Nah, nah, sweetheart, the least we can be is a little sensitive here. What is the phone number? 1-800-ZIP-UP. <laughs> That's, that's right, Gomer and Piles. Yuck it up. Now, if I can ask a favor, can we please keep a lid on this one? And my answering the phones is going to be completely anonymous, and I just assume no one else knew it was me. And she tells Dad about the Virgin Hotline that Bud is going to be assigned to. <laughs> I mean, why does she... like? It's, I know it's an on-running gag through this entire episode, but like... Uh, this is specifically an assignment that Bud is doing for his college, a charity assignment. And he literally says before the word hits the streets, what, like maybe Kelly heard it because she was fucking some guy on the uh, campus. But we'll we'll call out where how they keep mentioning this kind of stuff. But it's that made me laugh. I was like, why does Kelly know about this? <laughs> On top of that, you know, I know he's on this hotline, but at this point, he's not a virgin because we had last season, or not, uh, no, season seven, when he made it with his uh, cousin's uh, fiance twice, you know, two different ones. We'll clear out the cobwebs anyway. And then I think it was just earlier this season when he finally makes it with Amber. So Was that confirmed? I thought we were, that was just suggested. No, I think that's confirmed. Mm. Yeah, I think with Bud, I think we have to like start really paying attention when they say make it, like, because a lot of times 
he's just like i got lucky or it was hot and heavy or like you can have these boobs or something like that so maybe uh, they're trying to i'm talking about maybe the creators of mary with children are thinking maybe there's just enough plausibility for we can run with the idea that he's a virgin or at least still innocent as bud there is an there's an episode back in season two and i believe it was called master the possibilities where buck gets a credit card and al and peg they go to this luxury hotel and they're using that credit card because they think they're going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Bud's home alone with all this cool stuff, and these two girls are talking with him, and Mr. Rhodes comes in, and he wants to know where they got all the good stuff, and Bud says, hey, I'm close to experiencing what Dad calls hef, and he can't get rid of Mr. Rhodes until he tells him. Hmm. And then in the end, all the stuff was taken away, and Peg says, I'm just sorry I had to give everything back. Not everything, Mom. <laughs> You know, he was like 12 at the time, and that's a big You know what? A 12 year old at 1992 or something probably thought that, you know, virginity was getting a hand job or something. I don't know. Like, I just want to mention one thing, Stephen. There, uh, I wrote it down really quickly in my notes. When Bud is telling Al about the virgin hotline, he specifically uses the term when people are getting ready to lose their innocence. And he specifically uses the word innocence. So I think that might be him copying to the idea or maybe like telling listeners, watchers, hey, if you think Bud's not a virgin anymore, he's still an innocent. He still looks like a virgin and acts like one. So it's good enough. And he but Bud misuses a word. And then I thought you as a former uh, pastor might be might have caught it as well. He refers to people who have chosen celibacy and al's like i'm into that no there's no sex before marriage well actually that's not celibacy that's chastity right yeah you're right yay chastity is before marriage and uh, celibacy is a lifelong commitment to i can't do a lifelong commitment well i thought celibacy (laughs) was specifically a committing to no marriage if if a if a monk takes a vow of celibacy it means i shall never ever be married if i say i take a vow of chastity it's i can get married i just can't have sex yeah funny story when i was a pastor um i had another friend who was a pastor and he was supposed to do a wedding of someone who came out of my congregation and eventually joined his because he, he grew up in my church, moved to Woodward, started going to my friend's church. Well, my friend couldn't perform the marriage for him. The congregate's name was Jason. And Jason came to me and he said, look, uh, Steve had to, is going to have to be out of town on the weekend. And I was wondering, Stephen, if you would marry me. Oh. I told him, Jason, you're not my type. <laughs> <laughs> And I said the Methodist Church frowns upon that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. The way he put it was just, or I performed the ceremony. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. I I kid you not. Most ministers would rather do a funeral than do a wedding. Real? Oh, (laughs) I get it. If the the main star is displeased, they're not going to be able to say anything, right? That's pretty much true. You don't hear much, you don't hardly hear any complaints from a funeral service. But when you perform a marriage, and God, I cannot remember, I'm not going to go into it, but there is this one woman who raised such a stink, and she wasn't one of the 
she was the bride's mother and she was just a pain in the ass. She was in my congregation and then she started backbiting me to other people and oh. geez, it was ridiculous. But Holy crap. Yeah. This might be something we have to add into every single episode, a story of a wedding you've officiated because I've very interested in these things, Stephen. That's awesome. Can you still uh, perform ceremonies? No. I rescinded my ordination. Oh, you should get that back. Or at least the ability just to do that and start, like, you know, doing that as a side job. Hey, I'll do your wedding through Zoom. Let's do it. <laughs> I've heard of some people doing that, actually. I I assume it could happen as long as uh, the connections are there. I've, yeah course a lot more divorces since the oh, pandemic zoom too. divorces <laughs> yeah okay well yeah. that was a fun little sidebar uh, uh bud's gonna be on the virgin hotline and the number is 1-800-ZIP-UP <laughs> unfortunately and you know this is the day before the internet th- there were 800 numbers for things like homework helpers mm-hmm. And it's a spoof on the 900 number party lines, but those cost money, like the heavy metal hotline Kelly kept calling oh, yeah. in another episode. But I noticed the 1-800-ZIP-UP, that's not enough digits. ZIP-UP is six digits, not seven. Yeah, they didn't want... P- that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, because any number they would... There was no 555 in there, so they would have actually used a real phone number if they had uh, added you know, the correct amount. Now, what they could have done, though, is Z-I-P-U-P-P-P. That might have worked. <laughs> but again, that would have been a real number, right? Yeah, it would have been a Which real number. Which is why they wouldn't do but... it. Um, but uh, like what I, I like how you mentioned the 900 numbers because I got in big trouble for one of those. Uh, folks who remember video game help hotlines. Well, there was two numbers. There was one you could call about problems with your console or problems with a video game or something like that. And then there was another number you could call for help with play, like if you can't get past a certain level. I accidentally had a 10-minute long conversation on the 1-900 number on how to get past a certain level in the original Harry Potter game and it worked, but I didn't understand that it was a dollar ninety nine for the first minute, ninety nine cents for each additional minute. My parents were not happy with the seventy five dollar phone charge on that bill later that month. <laughs> anyway, so after um, Al is told the number by Kelly, Bud makes the reference to Gomer and Piles. That's right, Gomer and Piles. Oh, the Shazam. <laughs> Yeah. So tell us about Gomer Pyle. Oh, yeah. Well, I recognize the name, Stephen, but I haven't watched that show. But yes, Gomer Pyle was a television character played by Jim Neighbors and introduced in the middle of the third season of The Andy Griffith Show. A naive and gentle auto mechanic, he became a character when actor Howard McNear, who portrayed Floyd the Barber, took a respite from the show for health reasons. Neighbors played Pyle for 23 episodes. That's it? No, for 23 episodes from 1962 to 1964. After two seasons on The Andy Griffith Show, McNear returned and Griffith proposed a show based on the Gomer Pyle character. And in 1964, the character was spun off to Gomer Pyle USMC, which ran until 1969. And Piles is another term for 
hemorrhoids. <laughs> I think they were just referencing the uh, television show. You know, something interesting about that, Sergeant Carter was played by Frank Sutton. And, you know, and the usual premise was, you know, I didn't like it that much because it was the same thing. I've always contended that TV guy can use generic uh, uh, summary of a show all the time, like uh, for family matters. Urkel gets on the nerve nerves of the Winslow family. That could be used a million times. Gilligan ruins a rescue for Gilligan's Island. You know, you could use that several times. You could do it with Gomer Pyle. Gomer's antics wear thin on Sergeant Carter's patience. You know, that was it. But the ironic thing is, the two were best friends behind the scenes. They really enjoyed working with each other, which is really, you know, it's amazing to think that Frank Sutton, who made a living out of being a, an angry drill sergeant who was always yelling at Pyle could actually be friends with him, you know, because it's weird. It's kind of like when you see two people who work together on a TV show or a movie and they seem like they're doing so well and you find that they couldn't stand each other behind the scenes. Hmm. Well, as somebody who is uh, from a different generation, the funny thing is I had no idea it was a spinoff from the Andy Griffith show because... Yeah, uh, the image of Gomer Pyle was from like on a military base and doing military antics. I'm like, okay, so it was a military show, like Hogan's Heroes or something. I had no idea that it was connected to Andy Griffith, which, for, as far as I can remember, was not a primarily military-based show. So it was fun for me to mm -hmm. see those connections. I'm, I learned something for this episode, thankfully. <laughs> but that's why they've got cable steven and you can yeah. so you can see the best and never leave your house um jefferson pops on in hey bud i heard on the radio you're on the virgin hotline they said bud's name on the radio well actually it was a jingle uh let me see how did it go uh if you're a virgin with hormone surgeon keep on your undies and call bud bundies <laughs> Virgin Hotline. <laughs> That's catchy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, self-esteem intact. I'm going to get ready for my orientation now. Kelly? Mm-hmm? Would you be so kind as to insult me up the stairs, please? Mm, my pleasure. Now, when people call up, do you merely talk them out of sex, or do you send them a picture of yourself and scare the pants back on them? <laughs> Peg walks in with a newspaper. Hey, Al, guess what? They're having a sale at the video store. See? Right here. <laughs> and she opens up a newspaper. <laughs> and there on the back of this newspaper, a full-page ad, is Bud's picture. And the Virgin Hotline's number is underneath there. And the ad says, call me at the Virgin Hotline. And, oh, my God. And, Tyler, you got to understand something with newspapers. This is a full-page ad. Full page on the back. That means that's an expensive ad because that's one of the uh, ads that readers are not going to miss. And it makes me wonder... How is this nonprofit thing, volunteer thing at the university, paying for all that? 
Well, Aunt Stephen, I have an answer for you. As somebody who is very well studied in the uh, acts of historical journalism, I can tell you the edit, the chief and editor of this newspaper, obviously walked out and shouted, "Stop the presses!" and which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, takes about seven to eight hours to restart the presses because it's yep. a factory, and uh, slipped in this quickly drawn, which could have been done in under like five minutes for like a quick thing. The shortest one, I think, is JFK was shot, which took like 36 seconds to get <laughs> up on the front page. But it can be done. But apparently, the newspaper is so boring that I want to know how they got the picture, because that—that's not just—that's not a—it's not a stock footage of Bud. It's the actual—it's him. Yes, it is. And I'm wondering how do they get this picture? I mean, he has to sign a release for them to use it in an ad, and it's on the back of every newspaper in chicago if you think about it whatever whichever paper this is the best photo photographic journalist ever since whoever it was for superman in the comics like it this guy was able to gore girl was able to snap a picture of bud without him knowing while we were watching the episode because it was his first time and only time since Peggy watched reading this that he did it got it to the press got it developed got it to the press got them in there got the editor to flip it over and got the papers out and somehow maybe only one copy got it to their house in time and handed it in Peggy until we got there in the next scene it's a radio ad and Jefferson sings but uh, if you're a Virgin, and with hormone surgeon, pick up your undies and call Bud Bundies. So this is being played on the radio. Now we've got this full-page ad. I mean, this just adds to his humiliation. Oh, my God. Yes, you're right. And, uh, like, the radio is plausible. It's believable, at least, that a conspiracy could get this done. The newspaper, I don't even think, is an actual conspiracy legitimate one. If they didn't have a picture of him, it could fall into conspiracy. But the fact that the the picture is there is just a, if only under podcast review, a failure of continuity and believability of a, of a show. <laughs> Which is no stranger to the world of Married with Children. Absolutely not. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and we see that actual poster in the place where at where uh, Bud works. All the Virgin Hotline posters, hats. We need to like get those made uh, under the Married with Children like T Public account. I would wear a Virgin Hotline oh, shirt. That looks awesome. Uh, I like the hat. Never had it. Never will. But we're kind of jumping ahead anyway. Oh God, yes. So what do I care? So go to the video store. Well, I want you to come with me. Oh, no. That's why we have cable, Peg. You can see the best and never leave your house. Watch. Tonight, Tom Selleck in Mr. Baseball. Then John Goodman is King Ralph. But first, wings. <laughs> I'll drive. <laughs> hey, you guys mind if I hang out? If I go home, Marcy will know I'm not at my unemployed anonymous meeting. <laughs> 
Uh, have a good time. Thanks. <clears throat> Welcome to the Naked Jello Wrestling Championship. Hey, that's a... <laughs> what they're watching tonight with Tom Selleck and Mr. Baseball, and then John Goodman as King Ralph. But first, Stephen, wings. Wings. <laughs> yes. Strangely, Mr. Baseball actually was in a Mary with Children promo. It was in the last one uh, you and I did. Uh, Kelly knows something. That's when Mr. Baseball made its network television premiere on Fox. That happened right before uh, Kelly knows something. The season finale of season eight. So that's kind of strange. But anyway, Mr. Baseball is a 1992 American sports comedy film directed by Fred Chappesci starring Tom Selleck. Ken Takakura, Dennis Haysbert, and Anna, however you say that name. It depicts a tumultuous season in the career veteran of a New York Yankees first baseman, Jack Elliott. He's traded to the Chunichi Dragons of the Japanese Central League during spring training, and he has to contend with overwhelming expectations and cultural differences during the Dragons' run at a pennant. I saw that movie. I hated it. That sounds it like the best movie awful. ever. <laughs> it sounds well, incredible. It's it's bad? Oh. It's horrible. Tom Selleck acted like he didn't care. I saw no motivation for him to change at all. The love story was horrible. And I thought the script was pretty bad, too. Oh, damn it. There's a really good idea mm. for cultural differences between Japanese and American baseball. Uh, because baseball is such a... Baseball isn't the American pastime, but it's also an insanely popular sport in Japan. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're right. I might have to watch that and see how bad it is and how it could be better. But after before I watch that, I'm going to check out King Ralph because he's a 19. That's a 1991 American comedy film directed by David David S. Ward and stars John Goodman, Peter O'Toole, and John Hurt. The film is about an American who becomes the unlikely king of the United. The United Kingdom, after an electrical accident, wipes out the British royal family. Have you seen that one, Stephen? I have. Is it good? It's better than Mr. Baseball. <laughs> I'll that. Well, I mean, it's silly. It's comparable to Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. I will re-watch and review both of these movies. Listeners, if you follow me on Facebook, keep a lookout for those. Uh, And here's the thing, you know, you have Peter O'Toole and John Hurt, two very, very prominent uh, British actors, and I'm watching this, and I'm trying to think, you know, what convinced them to do this role with John Goodman? (laughs) uh, You can't see it, but I'm making the money symbol uh, with my hands. (laughs) Uh, See, but... um... But after those wonderful uh, films are spouted out, uh, Jefferson asks quickly, hey... You guys mind if I hang out? If I go home, Marcy will know I'm not at my unemployed anonymous meetings. And then we are we are introduced to the Virgin Hotline area. Hi. I'm here for the uh, the Virgin Hotline. I'm uh... Bud Bundy. I know. <laughs> Your face has chastity written all over it. Really? That damn Kelly. <laughs> My name is Miss Hardaway. I am the founder of Virgin Hotline. Not that I haven't had opportunities. It's just that I prefer to save myself for marriage. 
Who's? People don't understand virgins these days, Mr. Bundy. They don't realize that we can have just as much fun as they do while remaining vertical with our toes uncurled and the saliva of our passions held firmly in our proud, unsullied mouths. (laughs) There are so many more exciting things to do besides having sex. Have you ever felt the soft down of a newborn baby duck? (laughs) Ever collect little ceramic unicorns? Ever play Yahtzee? (laughs) Bud walks in and he meets one of my favorite uh, Mary with Children recurring characters. I wish they would have used her more. She will pop up again in, uh, I think it's season 10, and it's towards the end. It's uh, called Bud Hits the Books. Yeah. She's the librarian. Episode 23. And by the way, we're doing that one. Yeah, boy. I've already signed us up because I thought uh, Miss Hardaway just kills me. And if you, and it's, she's played by Beverly Archer. She was born July 19th, 1948, and she's been in a lot of shows, ranging from Mama's Family, Major Dad, Nancy Walker Show, Spencer, Alf, and she did have a recurring role in The Young Men, The Restless. Uh, She wasn't only an actress, she was also a writer. She was in a sitcom called Washington in 1985 with a young Christina Applegate. Mm. However, Washington is very hard to find. It's very rare. Anyway, Beverly Archer retired in 2002. She's been married to Robert Bernard for 44 years. Damn. And she has, I found one a great quote by her because she's not the most attractive woman. She uh, once said, no one's going to let me play a normal human being. Certainly not a lead. Certainly not a normal next door neighbor. I'm there to act a character twist. That's my living. And with this mug, what do you expect? You know what you call that, Stephen? That is a professional right there. And it shows humility. She knew that she wasn't very attractive, but she provides, you know, great comic twists for characters. And that was her niche. Mm-hmm. She probably they probably just told her you're going to be uh, the person in charge of the Virgin Hotline, and I bet she just walked onto set dressed like that. Yeah, and then uh, Miss Hardaway is appropriately named if you think about oh, it. Oh God, Hard Away makes you wonder how they got away with this one too. Oh my God, I literally <laughs> I think the one we talked about in uh, Kelly knows something was even bolder. I... But <laughs> oh yeah, way bolder. This one was more because I didn't pick up on this one. I was more taken aback by the amazing set of the hotline and just the uh, striking strikingness of the tall weirdly dressed just like peewee herman a little bit and uh miss hardaway i didn't let the way she speaks i didn't get the double entendre with her name but you're right but no the one we just watched the before uh we're referencing episode 26 the last episode of season eight where kelly makes you gotta squeeze it the, the buzzer kelly don't jerk it but then she gives Bud his uh, Virgin Hotline handbook. Now, you see, I'm not a virgin. <laughs> oh, come now, Mr. Bundy. Here is your Virgin Hotline handbook. Memorize its pithy wisdom. Reach out and touch yourself. <laughs> I love the 90s. And, oh, God. <laughs> Memorize this pithy wisdom. Reach out and touch yourself. 
Ms. Hardaway says, I love the 90s. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> that was a big thing. As a matter of fact, I think it was Jocelyn Elders. She was the director of Health and Human Services for Clinton. She talked about teaching kindergartners masturbation. I'm thinking, you don't need to teach them. They'll figure it out on their own when they get older. Exactly. <laughs> I admire the thought process, but no. <laughs> Reach out and touch yourself. I love the 90s was a funny-ass mm -hmm. quote because I, I didn't get that it actually was a slogan in the 70s and 80s. Reach out and touch someone. Bet you're glad your brother finally went away to school. Yeah. You get his room, his bike, and everything. What a deal. Yeah. And just think, nobody will call you Peeper anymore. Yeah. David, your brother's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. Kid. When a faraway voice sounds as close as you feel, that's reach out and touch someone. That's AT and T. Uh -huh. So they're they're using the '90s to rip on those old '70s and '80s uh, slogans. Time to take calls. You man, line one. It's our busiest. <laughs> and remember. Mr. Bundy, you will be counseling these people in their weakest moment. You must be their shelter in a storm, their anchor in rough seas, their cold shower during heavy Jimmy Smith's reruns of L.A. Law. <laughs> you, Mr. Bundy, are their last line of defense. Miss Hardway made a very funny uh, statement that had me doing a little bit of research their cold shower during uh, heavy Jimmy Smith's reruns of L.A. Law. <laughs> well, Jimmy Smith's, uh, born July 9, 1955, is an American actor best known for playing attorney Victor Cifuentes on the 1980s legal drama L.A. Law, NYPD detective Bobby Simone on the 1990s police drama NYPD Blue, and Matt Santos on the political drama The West Wing. So he's got a type. He also appeared as Bail Organa in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Oh, and yep, I remember that. Yeah, and as ADA Miguel Prado, Prado in Dexter from 2012 to 2014. He joined the main cast of Sons of Anarchy, one of Alex's uh, favorite shows, as Nero Padilla, who was the love interest of Katie Seagal's character, who is also on that show. <laughs> You, Mr. Bundy, are their last line of defense. Can you do it? You know, with a little more makeup and her hair done and some soft music. Mr. Bundy? Hmm? Can you do it? Well, if the room was real dark, I might... You, you mean the phones? Yeah, I can do the phones. No problem. Thinking in his mind, you know, if the lights were low, and with a little makeup and her hair down, <laughs> he's actually fantasizing about her. Well, what do you? Can you? Will you? Can you do it, Stephen? Well, if the lights were really low. And <laughs> oh, you mean the phones? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the oh. phones. Hello, you're on the Virgin Hotline. This is your counselor, uh, Eugene. <laughs> My name is Isis J. Blowup Doll. <laughs> and my boyfriend.
friend Bud hasn't been able to keep his hands off me ever since I came out of the box. Now, should I try to stay firm or just explode and go to pieces? A very funny, Kel. But don't let me keep you. I'm sure the trucker paid for the whole hour. <laughs> Crank call. Uh, yes, we occasionally get those too. Usually from mean people who have had sex. <laughs> but remember, Mr. Bundy, they mock us because they envy us. Huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> Virgin Hotline. Hi, this is Buck. I'm wearing nothing but my fur. I miss you, bud. I miss our special times together. Kelly, Kelly, please. I love you truly. Come now, Mr. Bundy. Chin up. People used to call me and say they were my shower head. <laughs> I honestly believe that Bud was confused at the beginning, that he didn't realize that it was Kelly. I think it took him a couple of seconds. Bud says to her, and then he says, prank call. And I like the way Miss Hardaway put it. Yes, we get those from mean people who have had sex. Of course, he's monitoring line one. She says it's her busiest line, and... There's dust coming off of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, like, does Kel... Who would really come? Do, go, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. No, no, no. But does Kelly know that she's talking to Bud? Because I thought Bud said this is Eugene, which is also referencing a uh, reference to the Eugene character in the You Can't Miss episode with Candy and R Rodrigo. Possibly. You never know. But the thing is, she knows what Bud sounds like even over the phone. Yeah, good point. Good thing she uh, disguised her voice so well. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning. And then she has another prank call after that, pretend, uh, pretend to be Buck. The first one, it was Isis. She was Isis <laughs> blow-up doll. <laughs> and then the next one was Buck. And God, you, know, you could tell David Faustino played that part so well of a young man being just totally embarrassed and humiliated by his... The second one, I will give you that, Stephen. I think the second one might have been in real life. He Time. Because now he is going to get a call from Esther. <laughs> What's the matter, Kelly? Is your bed closed for repairs? Uh, is this the right number? My name is Esther, and I thought I was calling the Virgin Hotline. Really? This is a real call. Uh, yeah, you're on the Virgin Hotline. Well, I've been trying to wait till marriage, but everywhere you look is sex, sex, sex. Uh, well, uh, where exactly are you? <laughs> Home, watching TV. Oh, God, they're doing a Bugle Boy jeans commercial. Oh. oh, you're losing her, Mr. Bundy. Quick, do a TV talk down. TV talk down. Okay, Esther, now listen to me. We're going to have to take your mind off of sex. Now, now think of the guy from the Zima commercials. I can't. Now Melrose Place is coming on. Billy's taking his shirt off. <laughs> 
Mr. Bundy, we have a code red. We're going to have to act fast. I'll keep her talking. You go to her house. Say what? Don't argue. Take your handbook and your never had it, never will virgin hotline cap. Hurry, or I'm going to have to call my boyfriend. Take my car. I'll call with the address. And Bud, you have a really cute tush. Friday night, and what am I doing? Talking a girl out of sex. <laughs> oh my God. I am my father's Oldsmobile. <laughs> well, let's get this over with. Esther. With a name like that, I should have brought a chew toy. Esther, save me. <laughs> oh, God, Esther. Uh, like, I was surprised we got to see her. I wasn't expecting that. But, uh, yeah. yep. Basically, we, yeah. we, so we get a phone call from Esther, uh, who's going to be uh, Bud's in, girl interest for this whole episode. And she's go, she answers with, oh, God, they're doing a Bugle Boy jeans commercial. <laughs> Excuse me. Are those Bugle Boy jeans that you're wearing? Why, yes. Thank you. Uh, well, Bugle Boy Industries Incorporated was a clothing company founded by Dr. William Mao in 1977. It's perhaps best known for its namesake brand of denim jeans that were popular in the 1980s. Uh, the company declared bankruptcy in 2001, however. So I guess we lost the towers and we lost Bugle Boy Industries. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> but don't you worry. Bud was quick on it. He whipped out his uh, trusty Virgin Hotline handbook, and under the uh, TV talk-down plot, uh, at TV talk-down section, goes, Okay, Esther, now listen to me. We're going to have to take your mind off of sex. Now, think of the guy from the Zima commercials. So this guy sits down, he goes, Nice bottle. Very, uh... What is it? Zima. Beer? No, something different. Wine cooler. Not so sweet. Try a zip. Zip? What's in it? Yes, it's a patanga. Am I right? No! Maybe it was a touch of a citrus? My lips are sealed. A bit of that spice. Be quietly. One for Zanzibar. <laughs> I had it silenced. Nice hat. What is it? Well, the Zima, Car Zima Clear Mart was a clear, lightly carbonated alcoholic beverage made and distributed by the Coors Brewing Company. And I actually shouldn't say was, because it's still going. And it was introduced in 1993. It was marketed as an alternative to beer. An example of what is now often referred to as a cooler, with 47 to 5.4% alcohol by volume. Its production in the United States ceased in October 2008. The product is still marketed in Japan. On June 2nd, 2017, Miller Cools announced a limited release of Zima for the U.S. market. And the beverage was sold again in the U.S. in summer of 2017 and the summer of 2018. It did not return in 2019. However, 
I do still see bottles of that stuff in Kroger's. So, well, I don't know what you're saying about that. <laughs> but the first commercial for Zima featured an ugly-looking Aryan type of guy. Well, I watched that commercial. Uh, right, <laughs> I paused this episode and I watched it. And he does look like a complete douchebag. He kind of looks like... Michael Tentelli, uh, I think I've said his name right, he plays Tony Soprano's uh, cousin Christopher, or Spider from uh, the Goodfellas. So that uh, he looks exactly like him, I swear to God. But then Esther goes, oh no, now Bill's place is coming on. Billy's taking his shirt off, which I love, guys, because I've been rewatching Melrose Place, so... I'm not I didn't need too much of the notes for this one, but Melrose Place is an American primetime television soap opera that aired on Fox from July eighth, nineteen ninety two to May twenty fourth, nineteen ninety nine for seven seasons. And the show follows the lives of a group of young adults living in an apartment complex called Melrose Place in West Hollywood, California. Andrew Shu played Billy Campbell on the show, and he was on the board of directors for do something which he co-founded and is the co-founder of the social networking website cafe mom so good on him wasn't heather locklear in that one uh yes uh, heather locklear i believe is in there as well there's grant and there's allison and a lot of it's you know what guys if you're if you want a real look into a mid to late 90s phase Check out Melrose Place. It is every episode is just gorgeously cemented in time, and they really are trying to pull off what is popular at the time. So it's not people trying to be retro or new agey, they are actually trying to represent what they believe people were dressing like. So it's a fun show to watch. And what people they thought what people looked like. <laughs> hey, you know what? I think I'm better looking than Andrew Shue. Oh God, Billy, he's Bro. such an asshole, and he's always walking around without a shirt on. Ah, that's why that joke's so funny. Literally, he is shirtless probably five minutes after his first appearance on the show. Yeah, and then Miss Hardaway says, "Oh, we're losing her." Take your handbook and you're never had it, never will, Virgin Hot like an actual cow. I love the way that thing looked. It looks like a fifth grader Um, made it. It's so adorable. (laughs) And then I I love it when she tells him he's on his way out. She says, Take my car, I'll call you with the address. And then she says, You have a very nice tush. Then we go to Alan Pegg at the video store. Now, all we have to do is find one movie that we can both watch. Hey, here's one. Die, scum, sucking, pig, die. (laughs) Ray Walston and Sherman Hemsley in a haunted house, Peg. Al, you have rented that 25 times already. It's good. Oh, how about this? Four weddings and a funeral. That's kind of like five of the same thing, isn't it? How about WrestleMania bloopers? You could have taped our honeymoon for that. You know, Al, maybe you should go your way and I'll go mine. Really? After all these years? Thank you, man. I mean, 
in the video store. Now go find a movie we can both enjoy. And be serious, Al. Hey, dwarf on skiing. <laughs> they walk into the video store, and what do you see? A movie of Dutch. Oh, yes. Starring Ed O'Neill. And it's free. And I love how Peg picks it up and kind of shakes her head and tosses it back in. You know, Ed O'Neill's uh, uh, face is, um, or his eyes are blocked out, so you can't see who it is. But that was a great inside joke because it was not that good. Listeners, if you want to go back and uh, look at an older episode, Jerry and Alex review the movie. And, you know, I liked it better when it was called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It was pretty much the same plot, trying to get home to Chicago, trying to take this kid home from school. It's, and there are a couple of other movies I noticed in there, like Cops and Robertsons had a poster, which was also used in the movie show in the previous season, or two seasons ago. Yeah, totally. There's a I would live in this movie uh, video rental store. I loved every minute of this because... These don't exist. I mean, they probably exist, but not, definitely not these video huts anymore. Uh, it's just no. beautiful. What, there's a sign in the background that says video rental, 99 cents each. And I'm like, good God, 10 bucks, I could get 10 movies. That's awesome. Yeah, there's uh, oh, there's just so many movies. Um, let's see. We got Al saying, die, scum-sucking pig, die. Ray Watson and Sherman Hemsley in a haunted house. Um yeah, God. <laughs> Which we've talked about Sherman Hemsley not too long ago in Dances with Wheezy because he was an American actor best known for playing George Jefferson. Uh, spinoff of the All in the Family uh, show, uh, The Jeffersons. I don't know if that movie exists, but I wish it did, though. Ray Walston was born November 2nd, 1914. He died January 1st, 2001. He was an American actor well-known as the character on My Favorite Martian. He was Uncle Martin, and Bill Bixby was his supposed nephew. His major film, TV, and stage roles included Luther Billis in South Pacific, Mr. Applegate in Damn Yankees, J.J. Singleton in The Sting, and probably the one I remember the most is Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Richmond High. Uh, he played some other roles. And, and Ms., I, have you seen Fast Times at Richmond High? Oh, yeah. I got to tell you something. That was something my generation grew up on. It came on when I was like, 15 or six, 15 or so. Now I'm a teacher. I hate to admit it, but the older I get, the more I agree with Mr. Hand <sighs> that everyone is on dope. <laughs> and you know what, Stephen? We, they, they mm -hmm. are. <laughs> they can get it much easier now. I like the uh, next movie Al finds. Yeah. Dorf on skiing. <laughs> there was no dwarf on skiing. No Dorf was played by Tim Conway. Also, who will show up in next season in 10 and 11 as Ephraim Wanker or Peggy's father. Well, Tim Conway had this character named Dorf, and he would actually walk on his knees. You know, the illusion where you're short and you would put, like, shoes on his knees so he'd walk <laughs> around. And the first one that was known was Dorf on golf, how to play golf, of course, He's too short to use the actual irons <laughs> and clubs and putter. He also had Dorf's Golf Bible, Dorf Goes Fishing, Dorf in the First Games of Mount Olympus. Shit. I never heard of that one. Dorf, yeah. Dorf on the Diamond, I think that was about baseball. Dorf Goes Racing. 
Bingo Fools and The Legend of the Paddle, the oldie Hollis story. I guess those were dwarf characters were in there. But then we have to go back to Bud and uh, his dealing with uh, Esther. So, virgin, huh? I just can't tell you how tough it is today for a woman to maintain her chastity. Every single girl I know is just preoccupied with sex. They'll have it with anyone, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> Really? Well, if you just give me their names, their photos, and their phone numbers, I'll get to the bottom of them. I mean, I mean, of it. Bottom of it. No, bud. Please don't leave before my mother gets home. If I take my eyes off you, I know I'll get all horny again. <laughs> of service can I get you something to drink you got anything uh, fresh squeezed I'll see I'm really sorry to drag you out on a Friday night like this but I can't tell you how much I appreciate an organization like yours bud I don't understand what's wrong with the world everywhere you look temptation <laughs> Zima guy, Zima guy. No, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, Roseanne, Roseanne. She says, all my friends are just having sex all the time. They'll do it with anyone, anywhere, at any time. And Buzz like, will you tell me their names and numbers and photos that I'll get to them? This is, it's like, a, this is very close to a Saturday Night Live sketch, this entire thing between him and Esther. Like, there's a, yeah. he's like, I should probably leave. No, please don't go. If I take my eyes off of you for one second, I'll swear I'll get all horny again. Oh, <laughs> And then they, they fall back on their own joke when she says, everywhere I look, temptation, and she's, Leaning over, her butt's up in the air while she's getting something out of the fridge, and buzz there, Zima guy, Zima guy. <laughs> would you get me? A, would you want something to drink? Do you have something mm -hmm. freshly squeezed? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And then he, he, it wasn't just Zima guy. He also said somebody else. Uh, Roseanne. Roseanne. You know, uh, he starts saying Roseanne. Roseanne. Oh, that works to get his mind off of sex. No, Roseanne and John Goodman in bed together. Sorry, but oh. Eh. Excuse me, I need to go to my bathroom and throw yeah. up. <laughs> Diesel head. A man and a monster truck exchange brains? <laughs> like Emilio Estevez would make a bad movie. <laughs> Look, Al, you have said no to every movie that I've chosen. Because every movie you choose sucks. Fried green tomatoes sucks? Yes. <laughs> now look, obviously we're not going to agree on anything. I mean, why should movies be any different than sex? Can't eat popcorn when you're having sex, Peg. Now, let's just find something to please both of us. And do not go into the adult section. I don't even know where the adult section is. <laughs> Here are the classics. 
Schindler's Lust. <laughs> Booty and the Beast. And my favorite, Forrest Hump. <laughs> oh, excuse me. No problem. Marcy! Al? It's not what you think. Well, that's good, because I think I'm going to heave. <laughs> I've just been monitoring porn for my women's group. We are sick of films that exploit and degrade women, and we are not going to take it anymore. Here are the tapes you asked us to hold for you, ma'am. Uh, Silence of the Loins. <laughs> and the Joy Slut Club. <laughs> Shall I just charge those to your house account? Fine. I'm taking these home to erase them. That'll show you men. Do you have condoms? Oh, Al, look what I found. Like water for chocolate. It's a love story. What a coincidence, Peg. I found a love story, too. Mrs. Assfire. Water. Fire. Water. Fire. All right, Al, that's it. You get what you want, I'm going home. Oh, now wait, Peg, this could be good. Biggins Magazine Guide gives us two things up. Al, I am not checking out porn. Now, you would think that in a video store of 10,000 tapes, we could find at least one movie that we would like... Butch Cassidy. Oh, Al. Now, here's a movie we can agree on. You remember when we were dating and we saw this at the drive-in? I remember that we saw half of it. <laughs> you know, I still have the imprint of the Dodge logo on my back. <laughs> I can't believe you still have that car. Well, I can't believe I still have you. Where, where were we, Peg? Sharing a tender moment. Oh, yeah. You remember how they kicked us out for making too much noise? Well, you were hurting me, Peg. <laughs> well, we certainly made up for it that night <laughs> in my father's hall closet. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Mrs. Asphire? <laughs> no. All right, Butch Cassidy it is. Oh, good. I heard it has a happy ending. All right, spread them, thief. Oh. <laughs> look at that thing. You know, some people just have no respect for the personal property of others. <laughs> anyway, Al says, how about Dieselhead, a man in a monster truck exchange brains? And Peg is like, I don't want to see that. Like Emilio Estevez would make a bad movie. No, it's not a real movie. It's probably a reference to Maximum Overdrive. It's a 1986 comedy horror written and directed by Stephen King. By the way, I remember reading an interview. He said he was stoned on coke most of the time while directing this thing. And it stars Emilio Estevez, Pat Hingle, Laura Harrington, and Yardley Smith, who voices Lisa Simpson. And it was inspired on a King short story, Trucks which was including the author's first collection of short stories. Yeah, it's a crappy movie, but I call it oh, you it's know, great. a guilty pleasure. It's so dumb. Yeah, it's so dumb, it's fun, I guess you could say. 
a man in a monster truck exchange brains? That's so much better than the plotline of Maximum Overdrive. Probably. Anyway, Emilio Estevez was born in 1962 on May 12th. And he's the brother of Charlie Sheen and the son of actor Martin Sheen. Estevez started his career as an actor and is well known for being a member of the Brat Pack of the 1980s. That would include people like Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, he starred in The Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire and The Outsiders. He I was? forgot he was in The Outsiders. Hmm. He's also known, yeah, uh huh. That was filmed here in Tulsa. I got to be an extra in that one in the Rumble scene. I'll, 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 let, I'll tell you the dirt on that one. And that is Matt Dillon is a jerk, or at least he was back then. Because now I didn't have any uh, fight scenes with him. But uh, from what I heard from some of the other extras and stunt people is that he didn't pull his punches like he was supposed to. I would have kicked him in the balls for that, personally. <laughs> I wouldn't care who he was. <laughs> you need to, like, find the image. You have to have, like, the screenshot or something of where... Are, do you appear, like, like on camera? I, 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 it's a very split, split second. And I never found it until one of my students pointed it out. Get that student to do a screenshot in their computer and send it to you and then send that to me. And I'm going to send it to everyone. <laughs> and ironically, I love the book. I remember reading it, but I'm not a big fan of the movie. Really? The movie? I thought the movie was literally like someone took the book, shook the book so hard until the movie fell out. It like, maybe, you know what? It's because you have to admit the actors do a really good job like they got all their characters down like as exactly at least that's how it was for me when i read the book and then watched the movie like in class right after reading it i felt like they captured it perfectly but let's see hint when she wrote it she was from tulsa so uh, that's why it was filmed here and you could see a lot of tulsa uh settings in the background and some of them are not there anymore. That's nuts that you were in. I'm sorry, dude. That's nuts that you were in, like, as an extra for The Outsiders. That is so cool. Ugh. I also got to be an extra in the Weird Al Yankovic movie, <gasps> uh, UHF. Some of, it was, some of it was filmed here, and I went with three friends. It was at the end when all the cars were out there. I still can't find Glenn's car. Glenn... Carl and I, those are the other two friends. That Man, I need to move to Tulsa for like six months and be in a movie. Like, <laughs> They're actually shooting one right now, not in Tulsa, but up in Pahuska, Damn, which is you... not too far from here. And it's Martin Scorsese and Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. A friend of mine got to be an extra in Twister. Were either you two extras in Frying Green Tomatoes Suck? However, Gaylar Sartain is in it, and he's from Tulsa. <laughs> so, well, uh, Peggy's choice of fried green tomatoes sucks um, <laughs> is a reference to the, a very, 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 very loose reference to the film Fried Green Tomatoes, a big, big favorite of mine from 1991 American comedy drama film based on the novel Fried Green Tomatoes. Uh, at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg, directed by John Avnett and written by Flagg and Carol Sobieski. It stars Kathy Bates, mwah, amazing, Jessica Tandy, Mary Stewart Masterson, and Mary Louise Parker. And it tells the story of depression-era relationship between two women, Ruth and E.G., and a 1980s friendship between Evelyn and a middle-aged housewife, and Nini, an elderly woman. 
The centerpiece and parallel stories concern the murder of Ruth's abusive husband, Frank, and the accusation that follows. Released December 27, 1991, the film received general positive receptions from critics and grossed $119 million worldwide. It was nominated for two Oscars as the 64th Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actress for Tandy, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And this was also referenced and discussed in Season 8, Episode 5, Banking on Marcy. Now, all these were popular around this time. If you were hanging out in a porno theater, in a porno section of the uh, of your local video store, Schindler's Lust, or from Schindler's List, 1993, Booty and the Beast, Al Bundy's favorite, and mine too, Forrest Hump, from, as you can guess it, Forrest Gump, as well as Marcy's two choices, which she is just going to take home and erase the content for women everywhere, Silence of the Loins, or Silence of the Lambs, God, I would love to see that one, and the Joy Slut Club, or from the Joy Luck Club from 1993. And Peg goes, oh, Al, look what I found. She bursts right into the uh, into the porno side, like water for chocolate, from 1992. It's a love story, and he goes, "Oh, what a coincidence, Peg! I found a love story too, Mrs. Assfire." <laughs> uh, obviously, Mrs. Doubtfire. So, the movie "Like Water for Chocolate," which I did not know this, is a 1992 Mexican film in the style of magical realism based on the popular novel, published in 89, by first-time Mexican novelist Laura, Laura Esquivel. It earned the Ariel Awards, including Best Picture, and was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film. And all of that porno stuff was so great. Like I, as, I, as I pointed out before, there's a lot of background screenshots that you can check, such as Star Studs, um, did you see any, Stephen? I didn't know. No, I, I thought they were mostly covered. I saw a couple of them peeking out, but I couldn't make out the um, the names. I will say one thing. Schindler's List, that is so wrong. <laughs> you don't. You know, Schindler's List is such a powerful movie. Why would you? Oh, God. <laughs> now, I gotta ask, and... Feel free to choose to plead the fifth on this. Have you ever rented a porno from this kind of, in this particular way, going into the back room, the 21-year-old side, and getting one of these types of pornos that were remakes of, like, a movie or having a theme like this? No, I haven't. Well, sir? Not those I types. have. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend back in the back in the day... When we were we were in family videos, and we both remembered the eighteen or older older section, and we finally were like, you know what, let's go and check it out. We're the only people in there. I totally did feel like Marcy. If I was there by myself, I would have had like a black coat on and sunglasses and a hat. It did make me feel gross, but we were looking at all these films and laughing our asses off. There was Lord of the Anal Rings. There was. Uh, there was another one, uh, Warren Tits. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding, dude. Like, uh, Gone with the Deep Throat. Wait, no, uh, not Gone with the Wind. Um, it was 
uh, Deep Throat or Deep Dick, and uh, Creature from Oh Creature from the Black Dick, and the one that we ended up getting, I kid you not, bro, Twilight, just titled Twilight, and these are not and these are not like it, it, huh. listeners. These films that we're talking about here that I'm talking about, these are not like 23 minute long like like videos made from taken from Pornhub. These are full feature length long parody porno parodies of actual films. I'm talking like it, it, Twilight, maybe two hours long. So is this porno, and we were we took it home and we laughed our asses off at it. Just like fast forward, it. it was not sexy at all. I cannot believe anyone ever, at all in the history of forever, actually got sexual gratification with a partner from this. Like it's an, you would just be laughing so much, especially if you've seen the original. Like it, it's really really funny and something I haven't seen explored in television this detailed. Like. Al and Peggy leave the porno side. Um, Al carrying his copy of Mrs. Assfire, begging Peggy to watch it, and she's like, no, I don't want to do that, Peggy. I don't want to do that, Al. Why can't... And and grabs the film, and uh, she grabs a film that they were uh, looking at. I think it might have been Like Water for Chocolate, and she just throws it backwards over her shoulder, and it lands perfectly in some lady's bag. This is just a one-off joke that goes nowhere because the like the the security guards like uh, haul her away while Al and Peggy find the one film they both can agree on, a film that neither of them have actually seen all the way through, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I'll admit, I've never seen it yet. Oh, you haven't? Now that's a really fun, fun movie. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a 1969 American Western film directed by George Roy Hill and written by William Goldman. Based loosely on fact, the film tells the story of Wild West outlaws Robert Leroy Parker, known as Butch Cassidy, played by Paul Newman, and his partner, Harry Longabra, or the Sundance Kid, played by Robert Redford, who are the run from, who are on the run from from, the, from a crack U.S. posse after a string of train robberies. The pair and the Sundance lovers, uh, the Sundance's lover, at a place by, played by Catherine Rose, flee to Bolivia in search of a more successful criminal career. And uh, I've been told it a, has a happy ending. It sounds good. I mean, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, man, like uh, that's going to get a lot of girls from the from the 1960s trying to call for the virgin hotline. <laughs> yeah, that was my dad's uh, favorite same with my mom. Paul Newman. Yeah. How many eggs? Mm-hmm. 34 eggs. <laughs> in one in one city. He could eat 34 eggs. Beautiful. <laughs> I can't think of my favorite with him. Maybe the Towering Inferno, I think, was probably one of the best. Really? Ones. Cool Hand Luke yeah. has to be the best. I just Yeah, that's a good one too. That's a good movie to show adolescent boys who really need an outlet to see what a real, like, shallow, stereotypical idea of testosterone and masculinity is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Fun fact, more, that is 
that that was mentioned on Cheers when they were uh, discussing back and forth who what movie produced the most human sweat in one exact film, and they were throwing out films back and forth, and one of the bartenders goes, I got it. Cool Hand Luke. And everyone goes, ah, yes, agreed. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and this was something that also brought them together, Al and Peggy. They both agree that they would like it, and they had their reminiscing about when they saw it in the, in the uh, drive-in and then how they were in Peggy's father's closet later. Oh, it's perfect. Um, it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, they... This is what I like about this one is that it shows some true affection between them. But then we have to go back to Bud. E L O N S. Melons. <laughs> so, what have you got? N nothing I can use. Hi, honey, I'm home. Hi, Mom. This is my new friend, Bud. He's from... I know! The Virgin Hotline! <laughs> I saw your picture on the side of a bus. Great. You wouldn't happen to know where that bus is so I could throw myself in front of it. Oh, they're everywhere, hon. And I'm so glad that you were here to help Esther in her time of need. Now, young lady, it's time for you to do your homework. Okay, Mom. And thank you, Bud. Keep in touch. Well, I didn't mean with me. I meant with herself. Well, not with herself, with, with her schoolwork. See ya. Well, I'd like to thank you too, bud. If there'd been a virgin hotline when I was her age, I might have known who her father was. Well, knowing who your father is isn't all it's cracked up to be. Way I can repay you. No, ma'am. No. No, according to the book, we're not allowed to take any kind of compensation. Even if it's these. <laughs> Didn't say anything about tips. When they come back, they're playing Scrabble together, and there are two glasses of freshly squeezed orange juice, meaning she orange squeezed orange juice into glasses for them during this whole time and it comes back to them m-e-l-o-n-s melons <laughs> and what does bud say take her uh, no, no bud doesn't spell uh, yeah and bud does not spell it folks it's already on his little thing like rant, perfectly arranged it's I love at the David Faustino, the way he's sitting on that chair and just going like, what is going on in this world right now? Like, <laughs> how am I here? <laughs> oh, but, um, but yeah, so the scene progresses to like, Bud's like, I got to get the hell out of here. I'm going to do something I regret. But just as he's about to leave, um, but basically the, and this, and this, this is going to come up in my review in a little bit, but the scene is pretty much ends with this whole scenario ends with the mother of Esther arrives really funnily uh, getting introduced to um, Bud by going like, 
this is my friend. Oh, Bud Bundy from the Virgin Hotline. You're on all the school. I just saw your ad on the bus. He's like, you know, and he wants to know where that bus was to throw himself in front of it. And she says, oh, honey, there are dozens of them. There's a fleet of them around. Like, it's just. (laughs) And I swear to God, I thought this is. It's almost like this is a porno scene because the mother is just like, now, honey, you better get upstairs and do your homework. Okay, mom, and walks away. Literally, this is how a bad porno uh, gets started to get two characters alone. And she's like, huh? Wait, wait. I got to point out something. Mm -hmm. That woman is way too hot to have that girl as her daughter. (laughs) And looks way too young. Exactly. This is a porno thing, Steven. Like this, she looks like. First off, she looks like Janet Lee, uh, from Psycho. She looks like a slightly older Janet Lee who was playing in Psycho, but younger than Janet Lee who played in uh, John Carpenter's The Fog. But she has that same hair and Hillary Clinton kind of pantsuit thing going on. But anyway. She's very happy that Bud has steered her daughter away from the temptations of men, and she wants to offer Bud, is there any way I can repay you? And he's like, nope, the handbook says I'm not to accept compensation of any kind. And she's like, really? Not even these? And rips her shirt open. And Bud says, the best line ever. If I was in this situation and it played exactly to me, I probably would have said this exact same thing. Well, it doesn't say anything about tips. And her name was Rhonda Aldrich, and she has 54 acting credits. I couldn't find a birth date or anything, so it's really hard to tell. But uh, my favorite line in this one is when she says, if there was a virgin hotline when I was a young girl, I would have known her, who their father was. And Bud's, my, one of my fa- all-time favorite lines in this series he says, well, knowing who your father is isn't all what it's cracked up to be. Oh, that's so great. And the fact that yeah. Bud's still saying all this stuff wearing this hat is really funny. And uh, But as he turns that hat around and gets some action as audiences applause. It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. <laughs> Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done sleeping on the job those raindrops are falling on my head they keep falling but there's one thing I know the blues they send to me we move into a a really fun ending Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Now, why would you rent a movie and not watch it? 
It's like renting a hotel room and not ripping off the honor bar. God, old people do the dumbest things. Thank you. It's got to end on that couch as Kelly comes sauntering down that stairs looking really sexy in a really, really hot dress with black shoes. Like She just looks gorgeous, but she's like, Mom, Dad, where are you? And as a movie's finishing, she picks up and sees the butch casting the Sundance Kid. Now, why would you rent a movie and not watch it? That's like getting a hotel room and not ripping off the honor bar. <laughs> and walks over, and before you even have to think where Al and Peggy might be, as referenced back in the video store, when they said they their first night watching that film, they were kicked out of the uh, drive-in for making for making too much noise in the Dodge, and they finished the night in their father's closet. Well, that's where they didn't finish that movie. As Peggy hands Kelly her jacket and and it another great ending line a shot of just Kelly going. Kind of almost, I'm watching it with right now with no sound, and the way it just stops with her like staring, in my head I hear the ba-doom, like Seinfeld uh, music. It kind of has like a Seinfeld-y kind of ending. No Ma'am will be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Well... I tell you what, why don't you give us your opinion first? How many times are you going to watch Mrs. Asfire? <laughs> well, Stephen, I am going to watch Mrs. Asfire a total <laughs> of four and a half times. I'm going to watch it four full times, and then I'm going to do what Peggy and Al did and only watch half of it. Because I'm going to have to knock this episode just a little bit on not giving me more of one of the two plots. We have an A plot and a B plot. Obviously, the A plot is Bud and his Virgin Hotline thing. A really good B plot with Al and Peggy going to the video and having it, video store and having porno, and specifically a film, porno films, and a film that has a sex memory, where I think they do it twice, actually, in that in this memory. So there's there the two plots are functioning together very well. But if you're going to do two, one needs to be explored more than the other. I feel like they got almost an equal amount of time and by that they both kind of lack in substance. The episode's funny as hell. Like really good lines, really good jokes, both subtle and not. Lots of good pop culture references. So that that gets me four and a half stars, but I mean, four and a half views of Ass Fire, but I can't give it a full five viewings just because they're not, they, they, they should have given me a little bit more. That's that's all I have to say. What about you, Stephen? How many uh, times you watch an Ass Fire? Well, I'm going to watch it five times. <laughs> and between times, I'll be doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love this one. This is probably one of my favorites, if not the favorite of season nine. It's rare we get a Buzz-centric episode. Of all the family members, I think he gets the least amount. And he plays right with the character. He does it so well. I, I get a kick out of Miss Hardaway. I thought that was hilarious. I thought Alan Begg in the video store was hilarious. Amanda Bierce is in there for just a little bit, but that's all she needs in here, especially since she's also behind the camera. Jefferson is not in it too much, but, uh, you know, he serves his function well. And I, I thought it was just hilarious, all from beginning to end. I, I think I had this one perfectly memorized in my head, all the lines. And everything. Yeah, well, I mean, everything you just said was very, very well spot on, like, it makes me want to give it the full five. I just, uh, the only reason I took that half away is because I think I used a good uh, description with you before we even started doing this episode was the worst criticism, the best criticism you could get as a chef was someone saying, the only thing I can think badly is I didn't get enough of that awesome food of yours. So, you know, something interesting. I remember on our last review, I forgot what it was we reviewed last. Uh, that was so we ranked really poorly. Oh, Kelly breaks out. I it, yeah. it's burned in my memory. I'm looking at our ratings right now. But the thing is, I remember going on a rant about needing a B plot. Well, I had a realization that at that time, what was very popular was Seinfeld, and Seinfeld always had an A plot, a B plot, and sometimes even a C plot. And they would all meet together at the end. I think maybe the Mary Chona writers were trying to capitalize on that success. Because this they didn't do that, start doing that until late in this, you know, the latter half of the series when Sunfield started to become popular around 92, 93. So. You know, that's very interesting that you point that out. And I think the reason why the screenwriters probably weren't experienced with Mary with Children in that view set is because up until the past couple of seasons, the show was centered very strongly on the family by pure logistic reasons. The fact that Kelly, being an idiot, was still in high school, Bud, being the younger brother, was still in school, so they were still living at home. Yes, they're still living at home now, but the writers are remembering, oh yeah, Bud's in college. Kelly is... Uh, working and doing her own thing and they have their own lives like if this episode ends with kelly waltzing down looking like she's about to go out on a fun night on the town there's no i need permission to leave so now characters actually have their own lives and they can be separated and moved away from the family we've got a little special uh segment for you longtime listener and patron Chrissy. I reached out to her and asked if she wanted to say anything about Dial B for Virgin because she definitely loved this episode and she reached back out to me. So you're about to hear Chrissy. And uh, Chrissy, if you're listening, hope you liked it. Hello, this is Chrissy from Germany. You might remember me from the Facebook group. I haven't watched this episode in quite a while, so it was really fun to revisit. And despite the disdain that Al and Peggy so often show for one another, I really do think they are a cute couple in a lot of ways. So one of my favorite moments of the episode is them sharing that tender moment, talking about watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kit when they were still dating, before they got married and had kids, 
because obviously when they were dating, they were a lot more carefree and like in love. So I think that's a really cute and also funny moment, them talking about that. And also um, recreating <laughs> the moment, like the ending of the episode when <laughs> uh, Peggy gives Kelly the coat is just like really funny to me. Kelly and Peggy look amazing as always. We love the outfits, same goes for Esther, they all look hot. I think it's just a really funny episode overall. I also, I love all the porn titles are really funny. The references to the real movies with Mrs. Asfire and Forrest Hump. The concept of a virgin hotline is also pretty funny. And I think that woman, I forgot her name, um, who works for the virgin hotline or like created it, really did her role so well. Like she fitted perfectly the way she spoke and her expressions it was just really funny so overall it's just a very funny episode and remains one of my favorites for the sweet moment that Elle and Peggy share because you know I love my Peggy and I love when they're when they're nice to one another even though their jokes when they roast each other are of course hilarious I mean I love both them being sweet to one another is such a rare occasion that it's like it always feels kind of special and sweet so I just love that. So thank you for inviting me to give my opinion on this episode and I hope you enjoyed the show. So yep that was a Dial B for Virgins season 9 episode 7. Next week listeners join our awesome friends Luigi and Chris as they tackle one of the best titled episodes Sleepless in Chicago. And Unlike Sleepless in Seattle, uh, they don't have Tom Hanks' amazing charm, so they better pull off a pretty good episode. I don't remember this one. It's been a long time, so I'm looking forward to it. Please remember to join us on the Married with Children Facebook group page. Um, comment on these episodes. Me and Steven are just two voices talking about an episode that's amazing. Uh, if we miss something or there are some awesome like little extras like i pointed out star duds in the background and steven didn't see it if you guys saw something please share it comment along we want to hear it and we read all these comments and your support is it's what makes this thing a community and makes it way more fun to do so a lot more fun a lot more and remember if you're not going to finish a movie all the way, make sure it's for the right reasons. Yeah.